Amen? And if you're not growing, then there's a problem there, right? Because everything that's healthy grows. And God designed us to grow in, in every season of life, no matter what you're going through, you have the ability to grow. If you'll grow through it, right? I mean, even in the winter season, you've got things going on underground. There's always something happening. There's always growth that's taking place. And so God, in fact, at our house, we've seen, you know, the shoots are already coming up. And then this week, they're like, ay, 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 it's cold up here. And the snow, right? Um, anybody get snow? It, what, what fun that was. On Wednesday, as, as uh, the, the heavens opened up, there were moments where it was just spectacular. I, I got to say, I love snow. Um, I grew up in Kansas. And there were moments that I remember in Kansas where we, we'd get, you know, feet and feet of snow. And, and then there's nothing to, to keep the snow from blowing because there's, there's no trees. There's no hills. I mean, there are hills, but you really can't see them because they just kind of go like that, right? It's not like Pennsylvania and Colorado and all that. And, and sometimes it would just blow and blow and blow. It would drift and feet of snow would come and just cover up the house, right? And so we, my brother and I, we, we would open the, the sliding door and we would dig out and make caves and igloos and stuff like that. I just, I remember things like that. I, I, I just love snow. In fact, I know how to drive in snow. Most Pennsylvanians don't. But anyway, God designed us to grow. He designed you to grow. And the tragedy is when we don't grow, when we have been a, a Christian for many years and yet we still stay in the two to three year old stage, or maybe even younger, and, and life becomes all about us and our desires, our needs, our wants, and we, we stay in that, that baby stage, and we don't grow up to the point where we start to actually feed ourselves. Right? I mean, you are designed to eventually get there in life. And if you don't, then your growth has been stunted for some reason. Maybe your mom dropped you on your head. <laughs> but seriously, and, and God wants us to grow. And, and one of the problems in, in Christianity is that as we face adversity in the church or we come up against a situation or a person or a, an issue and we don't like what's happening, we just run away. We pack our bags. We run to the next family. I don't like this family. How many of you ran away as a kid? How'd that work for you, right? And, <laughs> and it usually doesn't last long, and, and you, you wonder why, why am I keep going around the same mountain? Why do I keep dealing with the same issues? Because you need to be planted in the right place so that, you can grow. And, and last week, you know, we, we talked about the, the times of adversity, and that's when people like to run, 
when things don't go their way. Adversity, though, has the ability to bring the greatest growth in your life if you're willing to grow through it. And, and looking back over my life, I'm, I mean, there were times where I would have loved to have checked out of some of those times and just ran away and hid and, and changed families and changed lives and changed wives and You know, you lived it. We've lived it. That is truth, baby. I know. But if you'll let your roots go down deep and let God do the, the changing in you, let him take those moments of adversity and grow you through them, then you'll realize looking back, wouldn't have missed that for anything. Because that's when things began to to grow in my life. And it's interesting that Jesus says a seed doesn't grow unless it first dies. But if it'll die, it'll produce much fruit. So he asks us to come and die to ourselves so we can come alive to him and all that he has for us. Amen? So last week we looked at Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, he grew Jesus grew. Think of that. He came as a baby. He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, with all the people. And we asked ourselves, how did that happen? Well, it happened in the family setting. It happened in a family where, where Jesus learned how to deal with stuff. In the family is where he learned everything he needed for life. In the family is where he, he saw how dad lived. He, he watched him work. He understood and he learned how to work, how to deal with, with money and business issues. And he learned how to handle conflict and relationships. In the family. Family's a big deal to God. I was just reading again this week. We, we've got a dad crisis in America. I mean, dad a lot of times isn't there, but even when he is there a lot of times, he's not there. He's checked out. He's, he's still at work. He's still engaged in the telephone and, and the, the Internet and, and trying to do stuff. And, and we've got a crisis on our hands. So I'm, I'm asking all of us, step up our game. Let's be the family God's designed us to be. Let's get engaged. Let's, let's allow God to use us to, to teach and train and speak life and lead like we're supposed to lead. Amen. Amen. And Psalm 92 says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green like George and Grace Barnes. They've been planted in the house of the Lord for how many years? Long, long time, back when the Steelers used to play good. Right? George is a Steelers fan. I, 60 years? Wow. 
Amen. You want to know what that looks like? Have a look. Right? Planted in the house of the Lord, you're going to flourish. You're going to stay green. You're going to keep bearing fruit. Your, your life is going to be fruitful. You're going to, you're going to be pliable still, able to be fresh and green. Hallelujah. So stay planted in the house of the Lord, in the family of God. Get somewhere, get plugged in, get your roots down deep, and begin to produce fruit. That's number one. Number two, the daily reading of, of the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. We talked about this last week, how Jesus knew the Word of God. He heard it at home. He is, his parents did, as, as Deuteronomy says, they talked about it at, at home, at work, as they walked along, as they went to bed, as they got up in the mornings, went to bed at night, all day long. Everywhere he looked, he saw the Word of God because it was on the doorposts of the house. And, and so the word of God was part and parcel of who he was. And we said last week, everyone has an opinion, but your life's got to be based on the everlasting word of the living God because it's, it's alive. His word is not just words on paper. It's, it's truth. It's, it's alive. His word is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. It gets down into places that you didn't even know you had. Between the bone and the marrow, it's like getting into places where you're like, whoa, ah, ooh, ah. And, and that's where we grow as we yield to the Word of God and we get it inside of us and it becomes part and parcel of who we are. And it's not just something we run to in crisis time. I, I used to have a quote on my, on my wall in my office when I had an office <laughs> years ago. And it said, if you want God to stay near you in the storm, stay near him in the calm. I mean, fill your life up with stuff while you, you got nothing tragic going on. And then when the tragic comes, what spills out is what you put in. Mm. Amen. So and, and let me just go over this one more time. Also, Joshua, before God gave Joshua one of the most popular commands in Scripture, which was be strong and courageous, Joshua 1.9, he gave them this perspective-shifting promise. And here's what he said in Joshua 1.3. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. So God uses the future tense for Joshua's steps. But the past tense for Joshua's inheritance. He said, wherever you will set your foot, I've already given it to you. Because you're going to step into some things that I've already promised you. But you need to know the promises of God so you can step into them and then go, oh, yeah, this is what God promised me. He said I could be healed. So I step into my healing. He said I could be blessed, so I step into the blessing. And then I recognize God everywhere I go. Because everywhere I put my foot, he has promises for me there. They're already there, waiting for me to walk into them. And if I don't know what his promises are, 
then I'm going to miss out on some things. So God wants you to step into all that he has for you, but you've got to know the promises of God found in his word. Amen. Amen. And listen, don't live below the poverty line spiritually. Once you know the word of God and you have it deep inside your spirit, you don't have to live in poverty spiritually. Because you know what God's promised to you. You know what's available. You know all you've got to do is go put the pin number in and you got access. Come on. God has so much for us and many of us just don't take the time to know the word of God and, and let it feed our spirits. And then thirdly, we talk quickly about prayer and relationship and communication with God. You, you really can't grow unless you talk, unless you listen. Some of us are good at talking. We're not so good at listening. And God wants to speak to us in that still small voice, that quiet whisper, that nudge. And sometimes it's just a nudge. Right? Or it's an eye. You ever get an eye from your wife or your husband? From your mom? Or your dad? Or maybe a little pinch? You know what you're getting when you get home. Right? And, and yet the Holy Spirit just, just nudges us into what he has for us. And if, if we're in tune and we've got that relationship to where we've been talking and listening, been understanding his word and he's feeding us, we're in tune and we know exactly what needs to happen. Amen. So I want to help you grow spiritually. And those are three ways you can. Probably three, three of the most important ways. And today, I want, to, I want to help you grow in generosity. Somebody say generosity. generosity. Now, don't check out, okay? Oh, you're going to talk about money. I am. But I'm also going to talk about a lot of other things. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Because God wants us to be generous in every area of our lives. That was a good place for an amen. It, it was rather silent at that moment. Right? God wants you to grow in generosity. He wants you to become like him. Really. Because God so loved that he gave. And, and God wants to help you manage your money so your money doesn't manage you. I, I would like to see you live with margin and live on mission instead of letting your bills control your life. I'd, I'd love to see all of us be able to pay for our next vacation with cash to save for our children's education, to save for retirement, to create an emergency fund and, and also to live generously on mission not letting everything dictate where your money goes, but you tell your money where to go instead of wondering where your money went. 
It's called living on a budget. Anybody know about a budget? I know if you don't, there's a lot of help available. Dave Ramsey has a financial peace uh, plan that, that will get you on the right track. There's all kinds of ways you can do this. But I want to help you. I, I want you to be able to, to do all of that because that's my joy as your pastor is to see you spending wisely, to see you living within your means and, and not, not grabbing the credit card every, every time you need something or feel like you need something or, or want something, but being able to, to save and, and to, to be able to, to do what you need to do plus giving generously to the kingdom of God. So you got to figure out what's coming in, what's going out, how can you cut expenses so you can tithe 10%, save 10%, live on 80%. And, and some of you have gone beyond that. You know, uh, Christy and I, God keeps pushing us in, in giving areas. And so I think we've gone I, I, it's, it's beyond, way beyond the 10. But I want to see that happen for you. I, I want something for you, not something from you. Because I think we have this mindset that, that God wants my money. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. Here's the deal. Jesus said this, and this is truth. This is out of his word. Okay, this is what he said. This is part of the red letters, right? Red letter edition. You have, anybody know red, red? Yeah, the red's where Jesus said it. No way else is saying it. It's Jesus. Okay? He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever you put your treasure, you know your heart's going to follow your treasure. You just bought that brand new car and you really are worried about it. You're parking out in the tulip bush land <laughs> at an angle so nobody touches your car, right? Because that's where your treasure is. And so your heart is always there. Your heart is always thinking about, I wonder how the car is doing. I better check it out. I better go or whatever. You put whatever in there. Where you put your treasure, your heart follows. And God knows that. And so he wants, he wants you. But to get to you, he's got to get to your money. Because that's your treasure. But if the Lord has you, then he has your money too. He just wants to be first place in your life. And when he has you, your priorities will be kingdom-based and not just me-centric. And when we live with eternity in view, it changes everything. When you understand that everything you have comes from God, it is easy to give him everything you've got. When you get that, when you understand everything I have comes from God, it's easy to give him everything I have. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so the first step in growing in generosity is recognizing everything I have comes from God. Only by his mercy am I even here. Amen. 
So if, if he's blessed me with everything, and I understand that he has, then it's easy for me to bless him. So the question is, what am I doing with what he's given to me? Because there's a day coming, and we're all going to be there. It's a, it's a day of judgment. And let me just throw in this scripture, 1 Corinthians 3.10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. He's talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he says that for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the starting point for this, this Christian life. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. There's coming a day when everything we've done after we've given our heart to the Lord is going to be judged. And some of us understand that the kingdom comes first. And so we are investing in the kingdom. We're building on that salvation that God has given us. We're trying to be wise master builders. We're trying to, to take the right stuff and put it in the right place. And, and Paul goes on in the first Corinthians, he says, it will be revealed with fire. Because a lot of our stuff's just going to be burned up and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. He's like, look, everything's going to be tested by fire. God's going to put a fire to it, and if it burns up, it was just earthly stuff. But if it lasts for eternity, if it stays, you got a reward. Now, you're not, you're not, not getting saved. You're not, not getting in, right? But all the stuff you work for. Wow. All the stuff I work for, if it gets burned up, wow, I'm in trouble. Uh, and, and Revelation talks about the moment where God wipes every tear from our eyes. And I think part of that is going to probably come after this. Because <laughs> some of us, and I, I, I know some of us are going to get there and everything we work for our entire life, smoke. Ashes. Wow. I spent 70, 80, 90 years for that. But what we forget about is the eternity that's coming. Not 70, 80, 90, 100, 200, 10,000, 10 million, 10 billion, 10 trillion years. It just keeps going. And that's what we're living for. And so our priorities need to shift, uh, Robert Madu says, isn't it funny that God created us in his image, but yet every day we recreate him in ours? And the problem with recreating God in your image is that you're left with a God who can never surprise you, who can never transcend you, who can never break the little box that you put him in, and who can never contradict you. 
If you have a God who can never contradict you, then you can never really be changed. It is contradiction that serves as a catalyst for change. I need God to contradict me. I need a God that will tell me to go to the right when I feel like going to the left. I need a God that will tell me to step out in faith when fear has gripped my heart. I need a God that will tell me to pray for my enemies and bless them that curse me when I feel like speaking to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. I need a God who will challenge my selfishness and ask me to be generous with what he's blessed me with. And when God says to bring all the tithe and offerings into the storehouse so he can bless us, why are we so afraid? Because he understands things we don't. He knows things we don't know. And have we made God so small that we can't trust what he says? We've reduced him down to our size. Who wants to serve a God like that? And yet we keep trying to put God in our little box. Okay, God, I got, I know salvation thing's yours, but I, I got this money thing. Okay. I know. I know you think you know what you're doing, but. And so we kind of reduce God down. Or we live in fear, always worried that I'm not going to have enough. Craig Rochelle says, what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. And the tithe, the 10%, is all about honor and trust. Am I going to honor God because of how he's blessed me? Will I trust that he's going to take care of me as I bring him the first fruits of what he's blessed me with? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And this is where most of us do. We, just, we trust the Lord for some things, but then we go to our own understanding for almost everything else. This is the wise man speaking. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is a whole, whole lifetime change right here. And then he says in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then... Your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And I got to tell you, I, I don't struggle with this. Because as a kid, my parents instructed me and walked me through what the tithe looked like. I would get a dime for doing something around the house and they would give it to me in 10 pennies or a nickel and five pennies. And my mom would say, now how much of that is God's? Well, it's a penny, a dime. Tenth of that is a penny. So we take the penny, we put it in my little bank, right? And then at the end of the week, we take my little bank to church and we dump it in the offering. Quarters are a little different, a little, a little tricky to get a tenth of a quarter. 
2.5%. So we'd always bump it up. Three cents out of the quarter, right? And then a nickel out of 50 cents and a dime out of a dollar and a dollar out of 10. $10 out of a 100. You're getting... Okay, some of you need to, this is a good lesson right here. <laughs> and it's easy when you get to the thousand to give the hundred because you've given all through those other denominations. Wow. And it's not that big a deal because you understand, hey, God took care of me back then. He's going to take care of me now. Amen. And then you get 10,000, you owe a thousand. It's God's. It's not, you don't owe it. It's his. You're just wow. giving it back to him. You bring the tithe. You don't give the tithe. If all you do is, is bring the tithe, you really haven't stepped over into generosity yet. Did I say that? I did. And it's true. Because the tithe is God's. The tenth is God's. The first tenth of everything that comes in is God's. And so as a kid, I, I just, that's how I lived. And, and when I got to where I actually made money, it was simple. It was natural to bring the tithe, and then when God prompted me at different times to give above and beyond that. Because at that point, I had a bank account now. And I got money in the bank. I didn't have a wife yet. <laughs> and when her dad looked at me, when I asked for her hand in marriage, well, I didn't really do that. We didn't do that back then because I was a bad guy. And that's another story for another time. <laughs> but he looked at me and said, you need to know, Christy is expensive. And I went, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I didn't know. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> okay. Where am I? But over the years, it's been. <laughs> I love you, baby. But over the years, it's been easy to obey God in my finances because I've seen him come through in miraculous, supernatural ways. Because that's what he does when you honor him. And, and notice what, what Deuteronomy 8 says in verse 17. You you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But he says, remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And I think that one scripture right there should, should shake all of us because... At any given time, your ability to gain wealth could be taken from you. And some in this room understand that. You've been there. You've, you've been there. And you're like, Lord, if you don't come through, I don't have the ability any longer. And if we'll recognize that everything we have, David, the man after God's own heart, the guy who killed Goliath, the guy who messed up with Bathsheba, that guy, he got this. He understood this. And, and in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it says, then, then King David 
turned to the entire assembly and said, my son Solomon, who God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. And most of us at that point would just say, okay, then put him on the sideline. He, he ain't got nothing. But in God's economy, he'll take people who are young and inexperienced who will obey him and do amazing things in their life and use them to lead others. And so David recognized this is God's choice. And even though he's young and inexperienced, the work ahead of him is enormous for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. They're getting ready to build the temple and David's like, it's not me. God said, it's not me. It's, it's my son. And so you got to follow him, even though he's young and inexperienced and what's ahead of him is enormous because he's not doing, this is not his idea. This is God's idea. And so here we go. In verse two, he says, using every resource at my command, I've gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now, there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for this holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work that to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? And the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly... Please give, please. Come on. We've got a big job to do. I mean, there's coming a day when this scripture is going to be fulfilled here at this house. Because this isn't our final resting place. Okay? We lease this building. God, God has been speaking to us and showing us places around here. There's a place right next door here. 21 acres. I mean, it overlooks the entire city of Kennet Square. And I don't know, we're just praying and dreaming. Saying, God, what do you want to do? Because we know you have a place for us. You got a home for us. We're just trying to find out where that is. And we just want you to pray with us, all right? And when it comes time to give, we're all going to give willingly. I thought you were coming to give money. I... <laughs> Good timing. They all gave willingly for the construction of the temple of God. They gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron. He also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jael, the descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely 
and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy because that's what happens when you, you give. You remember Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is received. Something happens in you, you get filled with joy when you give. When you give generously, you got more joy. It's, it's like a drug that you can't stop. And then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Here's what he, he prays. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything. Somebody say everything. Everything, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. At your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. And if I could grasp this and realize that everything I have has come from him. Because he gave me the skill. He gave me the ability to gain wealth. He's the one who equipped me. He's the one who gave me the brain to think. He's the one who gave me the ideas. We're here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. Gone so soon without a trace. Oh, Lord, our God, even this material we've gathered to build a temple to honor your name, your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know when I've done all this with good motives? You know I've done all this with good motives, and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. What a prayer. Would you stand with me and pray that? Lord, make me always want to obey you. Just, just lift your hands for a moment and say, Lord, make me always want to obey you. Lord, make me always want to obey you. Give me an obedient spirit, an obedient heart, an obedient mind. Make me always want to obey you. See to it that, that their love for you never changes. Lord, let, let my love for you never change. Oh God, place a love for me, love in me for you that never changes. Then he prayed, give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. And David said to the whole assembly, give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. And I just want to say today, give praise to the Lord your God. Lift your voices. Lift your hearts. 
lift your hands and begin to praise the one who has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Begin to praise him because he alone is worthy of all praise. He has blessed you beyond what you deserve. And Lord, we praise you today. We magnify your name. We glorify you who is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none like you in all the earth. And we praise you, we magnify you, we lift you up, we glorify your holy name. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everlasting pleasures are yours. And so Lord, we come to you with the little that we have. And as we offer it to you, it becomes much in your hands. Hallelujah. So Lord, we offer ourselves today. We offer ourselves today. And we offer our treasure, our time, and our talent. It all comes from your hands. And Lord, today, we dedicate ourselves to being your people with your understanding, with your abilities flowing through us. Awesome God. 